This is Madeline Smith, and you are listening to Actually Interesting History. We make history fun, accessible, and interesting by sharing the human story behind the dates we learned about in history class. As Rudyard Kipling said, if history was taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. Now on with the show. As a reminder, while I am never explicit, we are covering the ancient world, and as such, we will be coming across adult themes. Especially this episode, please review before you share with young ones. Thank you. Quick recap, Caligula is in his first year of his reign as emperor of Rome. Caligula was the third person to hold this position, and he was the first young man to have it, being 24 at the time that he assumed the position. Augustus, it was a gradual thing. We talked about it as like the frog boiling in the pot of water. He just thought it was a bath. And Tiberius didn't get the position until later in his life. So Caligula is like, whoa, cool. This guy's young. Like, this is awesome. And we talked about how the people loved him. One, because he was young and cool and he actually was hanging out with them, which I'm sure huge positive, huge positive vibes coming that way. But also Caligula threw some epic festivals and paid a lot of people who Tiberius probably should have paid and then some. In fact, uh, depending on who you ask, looking at you, Suetonius and Cassius Dio, I had written down LL. Uh, he went through 2 billion, uh, basically the Roman word forever their currency was. Tiberius had saved in either a year or two. I think that he was spending a lot of money. I don't exactly believe everything Suetonius and Cassius Dio said. And when you're when you're talking about spending the entire treasury, whether it happened in one year or two years is actually a huge difference. So I'm going to put that in the realm of conjecture, but we'll move along. Uh, there was also feasting and seemed to be just about perfect. That is until Caligula got sick. After Caligula got sick, he cleaned house, as it were, meaning he got rid of a lot of people who had opposed him and his family, including the men that had helped him secure the empire. There were two men in particular. We don't have to worry about the details. And now I know that this sounds bad, but frankly, peaceful transitions of power are an incredibly new and novel concept in human history, at least historically speaking. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> while this isn't awesome, it is not new at all, nor will it be stopping anytime soon. It's just kind of the way it was. So now that we are all caught up, Caligula is about a year into his rule at the beginning of 38 AD. So I mentioned that Caligula had started hanging out with the cool kids, you know, the charioteers, the actresses, like the fun part of society. He also was super close to his family. Rare, and that's nice. Caligula's hosting style was described as extremely lavish, yet at the same time, informal. And I feel like I've been to parties like this before, probably not the same extent, but I think that you know the vibe. I, maybe, I don't know, let me know. I'm very interested to see if you guys have any examples of parties like this. In fact, Calipula was uh, spending a lot of money and we kind of went over this Suetonius, uh, Cassius Dio. But again, like this, <laughs> There wasn't a handbook on how the emperor should host a dinner or on how an emperor should travel. And Caligula was eating the best foods and sometimes the best foods were covered in gold leaf and he was eating the best food off of the best serving dishes. There's even a story that he drank vinegar that pearls had been dissolved in. Sound familiar? He actually is related to Mark Antony, so that's not too surprising and it's it's interesting to me that the story pops up with him as well i doubt it actually happened but the ancient historians were obviously 
using uh, bits and pieces of each other's work. And a lot of ancient sources get preachy at this time about how much excess and waste was going on at this point in Roman history, not just by Caligula, but by the upper classes as a whole. So remember, they're all writing sometime later, some like one generation past, a couple of generations past, and they seem to have made Caligula the poster child for that, which again, so it's not surprising to me that Cleopatra, who is someone else these people would have been familiar with, has a similar story thrown into her mythology, as it were. There were some suggestions on how he should act coming in, but since he had gotten rid of his older, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say his more responsible advisors, Caligula was acting how I imagine any young Roman man would have acted. Nothing out of the ordinary, but probably not with the dignity the more traditional senators would have wanted from their de facto leader. At banquets, Caligula's, Caligula would have his sisters sit on his right where his wife would normally sit and his then wife sit on his left. Uh, and supposedly that was supposed to be for the guest of honor, some foreign king or senators, whatever it was. And Caligula was ignoring the usual traditions that he was supposed to do to honor the senators. He was getting rid of a lot of that. that. And this is a bit of a tangent, but the whole reason that Louis XIV created Versailles, as we think of it today, with the really strict protocol and etiquette, what you think of when you think of the French monarchy, it was because he, rightly so, thought that if he could distract various aristocrats with the honor of tying his shoes or who gets to sit three chairs down from him, then they'll be so busy fighting against this like seemingly unimportant stuff that they wouldn't be sitting around and plotting against him. And I wonder if Louis had read about Caligula when he was coming up with that stuff. Spoiler alert. Basically, the most terrible thing Caligula has done so far, other than cleaning house, which isn't great, is he's spending a lot of money, but he's been living in basically off the trappings of Tiberius, who was hilariously frugal, so not in a lot of extravagance, and he's really close to his family, and also ignoring some senators. That's the extent of the craziness that Caligula has done. I just wanted to put that out. So, so far, that's where we're at. On June 19th, 38 AD, Drusilla, by all accounts Caligula's favorite sister, died unexpectedly. Caligula did not attend the funeral because he was so distraught and then went to one of his country estates to mourn. I was thinking about this, and while I think the fact that she was his favorite definitely had something to do with what people called the inappropriate way that he mourned. But this was the first time that Caligula could actually show emotion at the death of his family member. Now, if you remember his mom, both of his brothers, when they died, he was in Tiberius's house. And even when they mentioned their names, if Caligula would have given anything other than the emoji smiling face, cardboard mask that he had on, then he, could have been put to death on the spot by Tiberius. And so I was thinking about it. And I think that sometimes when you hold up emotions inside for so long, when something happens to you, it's like you're not only dealing with that, but you're also dealing with everything that was unresolved up to this point. So while I definitely think the fact that he was closest to Drusilla did have something to do with the large, not large, but like the extent of his mourning. I also think that it has something to do with that. And maybe that's completely off base, but that's just me as a human, like reading into the situation of another human. So Caligula granted Drusilla all of the honors uh, Livia, Augustus's wife, had received, uh, as well as deifying her, something that had only been done for Augustus and Caesar before. And while I can hear the, 
I think that it's time to address the elephant in the room. And that is if you've heard the rumors about Caligula, the specific rumors being that he had an affair with his sister, Drusilla, like as in a sexual one. Caligula definitely treated his family differently than other people had. And we have mentioned a few of the things uh, that other Roman people have done to their families already that weren't super awesome. So the fact that he was even nice to them was out of the ordinary. And I think that in this particular case, for this instance, so if one of the pieces of evidence you're going to use for the supposed uh, affair that was going on, the, the fact that he had given her the honors that Livia had been given, Caligula is again only the third person to have ruled, and Drusilla is one of the only women who has actually died of natural causes during the reign of an emperor, and she's a member of the imperial family. So even though looking back, it can kind of be like, oh, what the heck, like those were the honors that a wife was given. I think it's more that she's a woman who has died and is a member of the imperial family. So that's that piece of evidence. We're going to strike that out. A few weeks after Drusilla's death, Caligula traveled to Sicily and oversaw the construction slash improvements of a harbor there, allowing for increased grain imports from Egypt. At some point, there was a famine happening in Italy during the reign of Caligula, and this construction project may have been in response to that. This specific instance is often pointed to one of Caligula's greatest accomplishments during his reign. And the famine doesn't really come up at any other point in the story. So I'll just acknowledge that it was happening here and then just kind of know that it's going on in the background, but we're not really going to speak of it again. So there you go. Caligula returned to Rome by the fall of 38 AD. While he was back, he helped the Praetorian Guard put out a fire randomly, which I thought was a funny detail. And he also began constructing two new aqueducts, a relatively eventful fall. I think that it's important to note that Roman historians that later wrote about Caligula, Caligula's rule either just completely skip over or barely mention these events. I think that this shows just a little bit of bias as they didn't want to share any of the positive things that Caligula did. I just wanted to especially include these just to point it out. Like there's other stuff going on that the Roman historians are just not covering at all. So at the beginning of 39 AD, there was a change in the way Caligula and the Senate were getting along. No one really knows why, but for some reason, Caligula ends up giving a speech to the Senate where, do you remember those old Tiberius papers that supposedly were burned, but then were pulled out right after Caligula thought when he got sick and he was like, did someone just try to poison me? So there was a cleaning house event. Those same papers that everyone was like, surely they've been burned at this time. Nope, Caligula still has them. And basically Caligula took every negative thing that each Senator had done during the reign of Tiberius going as far to use specific examples with like naming specific individuals and saying that they, in fact, the senators were responsible for all of the bad things that happened during Tiberius's reign. And as my friend Andrea and I would say, Caligula brought receipts. And this is interesting, especially coming from Caligula, because this guy, he obviously does not personally care very much for Tiberius, but he's just making a point. And there's, he's making a point. We'll just leave it at that. He then says, remember how you gave all of these honors to Tiberius and Sejanus, and you also put them to death slash were disrespectful to them later? Yeah, that was hypocritical. Then Caligula added at the end, 
by the way, I'm resuming treason trials, hypothetical mic drop. I think that that, I think that that might be, I'm trying to, I like, I don't even have anything to compare this to, but he must have been so angry. And so what people assume happened, and I feel like this probably makes the most sense, is Caligula uncovered a plot to have him killed for whatever reason, who really knows. And this is just the beginning of Caligula saying, I cannot have anything to do with these people. The senators are terrible. I don't like them. And apparently they don't like me. So fine. Remember when I said that Tiberius was the worst manager of all time? Tiberius was unable to say what he wanted. Caligula, on the other hand, was basically calling people on their BS, which while valid, everything he said in those above things, not wrong. And I'm assuming it felt so good. Imagine if you could, let's say you had a terrible boss. And in this case, the terrible boss isn't Tiberius, it's the Senate. And you got to call them on all your baloney, or maybe you're leaving a company and you're just like, I'm never going to work for this company again. I don't care. And you go absolutely savage on them in your exit interview on like every single person in the hierarchy that you don't like. While, again, I, on a, on a, on a top level, I understand why that would be most emotionally satisfying, but it's not going to make you any friends. I'm actually reading how to win friends and influence people. And one of the first thing, things that that book points out is about the realities of human nature and people do not like to be criticized, whether it's justified or not. And I think that Caligula should have probably read this book, especially since it's not like he's exiting the corporation and he's never going to have to see or speak to these people again. And hopefully no one calls there for references. No, these are your co-workers, so to speak, and you're going to be sitting next to them every day for the rest of your life. So interesting, interesting uh, <laughs> way to go about this. Hilariously, the next sentence I have written down is moving forward, the relationship between Caligula and the senators was not great, to say the least. <laughs> I crack myself up. Anyways, now comes another one of those events that people who know anything about Caligula may have heard before. It's the whole trying to make his horse council thing. Now, I remember when I first learned this and I was presented it. It was presented to me in the context that Caligula had gone mad in the mental health sense in the world word, and he was delusional and crazy. And at this point, he was legitimately trying to make his horse counsel. And that is definitely, if you read Suetonius, that's definitely what he's implying. However, now that I'm older and wiser, and irony and sarcasm is something that I'm a little bit more well-versed in. <laughs> I'm thinking, and there are a lot of people who would agree with me, that in the context of what we just learned, Caligula saying that he wanted to make his horse counsel was his way of reminding the senators that he was in charge, as in, you don't matter. Councilship doesn't matter. In fact, it doesn't matter so much. I can have my horse do it because I'm the boss. Another mic, mic drop. It's more of a joke that I think historians pulled out of context. <laughs> oh my gosh. Dude, I have written down, uh, do you know the scene in Rick and Morty where Rick puts on the glasses and is eating a lollipop? That's the vibe I have in my mind for this, for Caligula, like making this joke to them, like whatever. And hilarious. I love when a Rick and Morty <laughs> reference pops into my head. But do you see how that's 
two very different things. Like one is this person is losing their mind. They're literally going mad. They're trying to make their horse counsel. And one is this person is making a comment to the senators. It's insulting. And he's saying, this is dumb. I'm going to have my horse do it. And he's that horse is probably going to do it better than you guys. That's what this actually is, which again, not the best way to manage people, but he got his point across. We're still in 39 AD and it remained eventful when that summer Caligula married again. Notably, his third wife was pregnant and he waited until after the baby was born to officially marry her. Uh, he then made the baby a daughter named Julia Drusilla, his heir. I think these actions pretty much show exactly what Caligula wanted from this marriage. Yeah, and Caligula's sister, Agrippina, had given birth to a son who she had presented to Caligula when he had been born. And so that was basically her saying, like, please take this potential future heir into your favor. And Caligula's move to make his own daughter heir, his own daughter heir, definitely made his sister Agrippina, who's Agrippina the Younger, by the way, if you ever look her up, deeply unhappy. Up until this point, Caligula had remained extremely close to Lepidus, Drusilla's widower. If you remember, when Caligula made Drusilla his heir, what he really was doing was making her future sons his heir, and in the meantime, that meant that her husband, Lepidus, would have been in charge. So in a roundabout way, he was kind of making Lepidus his heir. Now Tacitus, who I have to say really loves talking smack, all of these guys do, so take this one with a grain of salt, but he says Agrippina the Younger started having an affair with Lepidus sometime after Drusilla died. This is mid-39, so Drusilla, Drusilla died about a year ago at this point. I've talked about this before. Using sexuality to negatively, negatively reflect on people's character is one of Roman historians' like favorite things to do. So take that as you will, and Agrippina the Younger ends up being someone that they also don't like very much, too. So <laughs> just keep that in mind. Anyways, Lepidus, a bunch of senators, and both of Caligula's sisters were in on this plot, supposedly. Thinking, let's make Lepidus emperor. He will marry Agrippina. Her son Nero will be heir. Yes, that Nero. Also, the baby that Caligula didn't make his heir, by the way, which explains her uh, motivation for this. And everything will be hunky-dory. And if you're like me and thinking, why? Why at this point are people already trying to get rid of Caligula? He's only been on the throne for what, like two a year, two years? Well, Caligula had just made his daughter heir. And as I mentioned, Agrippina definitely wanted her son to be heir. Lepidus had been heir, basically, and probably still wanted to be emperor. And as for the senators, considering Caligula had done a really stand-up job making them all feel foolish and also was definitely spending a lot of money i don't want to pretend like that that wasn't a big issue it definitely was yeah, fine that fair enough so when the plot was discovered lepidus was executed and caligula's sisters were banished from rome and honestly if he had wanted to this was definitely grounds for Caligula to have executed them both, and no one who knew the situation would have bat batted an eye. Like it would have been like, yeah, that's what happens. And I've often seen TV shows, articles, etc., pointing to the fact that Caligula doing these things, leaving out the whole assassination plot and saying that since this happened so close to the Drusilla's death, he was motivated to do it by her death. And that's just further proof of their sexual relationship. 
And to that, I say Bologna. Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? I think that I'm, I'm kind of surprised that he didn't put them to death. I think that that's evidence to me that he actually just really does care about his sisters. His family, his only family that he has left, by the way, I don't know. I, I don't think that I can ever sit down and watch an ancient Rome, like, history channel show again because the more i learned about all of this the <laughs> the angrier i became at the beginning of 40 a.d caligula shifted his attention from germania to britain one of the reasons was probably because the current king of the britons had died so caligula and his generals probably saw an opportunity and they marched them up that way now, when his troops arrive at the English Channel, there is something that happens with seashells. At the beginning of 40 AD, Caligula shifted his attention from Germania to Britain. One of the reasons was probably because the current king of the Britons had died. So Caligula and his generals probably saw an opportunity and they marched them up that way. Now, when his troops arrive at the English Channel, there is something that happens with seashells. The next thing that happens after the seashell incident is that Suetonius describes that Caligula wanted to have two legions decimated, which is when every 10th man in a legion is killed. And this punishment is used for cowardice or disobedience. So what probably happened based on this is that the troops didn't want to cross the sea and Caligula makes it into a joke, their cowardiceness, and says, all right, well, if you won't cross the water and go attack the enemy, then go collect seashells. And so he like orders them to go do that, basically making fun of them and then wants to decimate them. I don't get to use that word a lot. I think I'm gonna start cycling it into my vocab. That is a really good word. And then when he realizes um, that they know what he's up to, like word spread that Caligula was considering decimating uh, two of the legions, he gets uh, angry and leaves before they can personally turn on him. Now, is this awesome? No. Do I think that Caligula is losing his mind? No. In a weird way, Caligula's sense of humor, his satirical nature, appeals to the Rick and Morty part of my sense of humor. And Caligula ends up returning to Rome without a victory, but his whole military experience does lead to improvements that will allow future emperors some of their successes in the near future. Spoiler alert. So he doesn't actually conquer Britain or Germania, but he leaves the military better than he found it. He leaves on a bad note, which isn't great, but what can you do? At this point, Caligula was starting to use people he actually trusted to try to get things done, which, while I think it's fair, is also further alienating the senatorial and upper class of Rome, who no doubt were one, scared of him, and two, really upset that he wasn't at least pretending to listen to them, and three, probably upset that they weren't able to get away with their normal stuff since Caligula was moving power over to people he actually trusted. Caligula, actually, Caligula may have actually been trying to get rid of the Senate altogether. I say that because basically the Senate would grant Caligula honors all the time. They did the same thing for Tiberius. They did the same thing for Augustus which in turn, Caligula accepting those honors gave the Senate legitimacy. It's kind of like a chicken or the egg thing, like which came first. And so we told the Senate to stop honoring him uh, after the last plot was discovered. Caligula had actually started uh, auctioning off the stuff from old emperor's households, along with his sister stuff, one, because he needed the money, but also because I think he was trying to distance himself from the previous emperors. 
And what I think is happening here is that Caligula has decided after the last attempt on his life that he's trying to make a change. So with his entrance back to Rome, he wanted to make a statement. And since he had ordered the Senate to not honor him, he couldn't go the normal route as in go enter into the city with the senators putting on a grand show for him or whatever else. He's like, no, I don't want your stuff. I'm going to do something else. As I mentioned, when Caligula returns to Rome, he is hilariously done with everybody around him. And he starts putting people he actually trusted. And these people happen to be self-made. Many of them had been born slaves. And I think that this was strategic because they owed their place in society to him. So if they were to, I don't know, uh, plot to try to kill him behind his back, it's not like they were his family who could then, you know, be in charge of the empire. Cynical, sure, but not wrong. He also seems to have actually been in love with his wife, and her name was uh, C. C. C I had I literally just said this a second ago. It's like Caesar and then Onia, Caesonia, C. A. E. S. O. N. I. A. It is hilarious the things that you can say, and then you put a microphone in front of your mouth, and it's like, whoa, I've never seen this word before in my life. Um, and this is actually, it's refreshing. It's nice that he actually likes his wife. Uh, no word on uh, how she felt about the whole him waiting to marry her uh, before, uh, waiting for her to give birth before they got married, but it sounds like they worked through that. So that's really nice for them. And those two, uh, 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 pro, pro, the prefects, Caligula had appointed didn't seem to bother him either. He's like, I like these guys. Finally, he was hanging out with kings from client states, which also probably made the senators uneasy. Dot, dot, dot. So what was this alternative that Caligula came up with? Well, he decided to make over a three mile long bridge out of ships covered with dirt of course you got to have some firm walkway to walk on complete with rest stops that had running water i was looking for more details on this and none were given but i like it and the bridge ran from uh oh i did not look up how to say these words it's b-a-u-l-i like poly but bali poly bali paul I don't even know, to P-U-T-E-O-L-I. My inability to pronounce Latin is hilarious to me, especially because we keep finding ourselves in ancient Rome. Anyways, this is a callback to something Caesar did on campaign, which nice historical reference, Caligula, digging it. Another more uh, obvious reference, Caligula didn't just walk across the bridge that he built, his impressive bridge. No, 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 no. He rode across it wearing the breastplate of Alexander the Great, which I'm assuming Octavian slash Augustus had stolen from Egypt back in the day. This event can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, but I think that the main message to the Roman elite is, I don't need your honors. I can ride a horse across the sea. And by golly, can he? I, I love it. I love it so much. And on August 31st, 40 AD, Caligula entered Rome again on his 28th birthday. Now, while the senators were probably not excited, um, they really shouldn't have been. And the regular people still loved him and were super pumped to have him home. And I'm sure that they loved the bridge thing by the way. Now, remember how Tiberius allowed the senators to blame each other for things and as a reward, they got some of the other person's stuff and the rest went to the emperor. And then Caligula gave that whole speech about how the senators are whole hypocrites and all these terrible things that happened was because of the Senate. So treason trials were back. Yeah, treason trials are back. Just, 
just a reminder. So Caligula seems to have taken a more active role than Tiberius had, which again, because Tiberius didn't come to Rome ever, but it's not hard to do. But there is one episode of this that I wanted to share. A man had been condemned and his lover, an actress named Quintilia, was tortured by a Praetorian guard, uh, but she never said anything to confirm the charges and thus stop the torture. Had she said something, then they would have stopped. And due to this, she was left permanently disfigured. When she and her lover appeared before Caligula, he was so impressed by her loyalty, he released the man and granted her a large sum of money. Now, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it just shows the brutality of the ancient world. Um, and torture, like the way that this torture was done, uh, as in you're tortured to try to get you to tell the truth, even though to make it stop, you probably would have just said anything. That happens during the reign of Elizabeth I. It happens like well into, like further in history than you think that it would. So while this is not great, it, this was the way it was done back then. But also, it's interesting that the Praetorian Guard are the people who are in charge of overseeing this. And Caligula giving money and releasing this man goes against the Praetorian Guard, which are supposed to be the faction of the whole entire like part of Roman society that are supposed to be closest to Caligula. Caligula allowed slaves, of which there were a large amount in Rome, to bring charges against their masters. The senatorial class were definitely freaked out by this because First of all, it meant that you better make sure you're treating your slaves well because they could come up with charges against you. So that was for the first, not the first time this, something like this had happened before, but it allowed slaves a way to like have consequences for their masters of, and consequences for masters was something that was few and far between in the ancient world. But it also meant that anything that someone said in their household could be used against them because you never know who's listening. Which in the age of your iPhone always listening to you and giving you ads for something that you <laughs> were talking about the day before is something that maybe uh, maybe a feeling that we too <laughs> could start to understand in our world today. Another thing that Caligula did uh, the greatest honor that you could have was living on the Palatine Hill with the emperor. After you gave him a large sum of money for the honor, of course, not only would you live here, but your family would come too. So not only was Caligula getting money from the people who he invited, strong emphasis on invited to come live on the Palatine Hill, Basically, now their families were living as hostages within the grasp of the Praetorian Guard. So Caligula has made it so someone is listening to you at all times. He now has your family basically as hostages. Not great. And supposedly Caligula made a comment saying that he had made so much money from these families as in the women and children of the senators living on the palatine hill that he now had a brothel which you will read he actually opened a brothel on the palatine hill i doubt it i think that he with his weird sense of humor was making a joke here but i think that that's the root of where that comes from the senators were scared of caligula and rightly so they responded by making a decree to have a temple built in his honor where Caligula could be worshipped as a god. Now let's set the record straight on how the Senate, the Senate had tried to do the same thing for Tiberius 
and he had refused and criticized the Senate for doing it. And when they do it again for Caligula, it's not like this was the first time this was happening. They tried it for Tiberius. It's just that Caligula allowed himself to be worshipped. There was an interesting article that pointed out that what Caligula was doing here wasn't because, again, he was going mad or thought he was a living god or whatever insert thing that you could say negative about him here, but more that he was trying to switch up the way the Roman government was set up and how the Roman emperor got his power. And so accepting being worshipped was it played into what he wanted. So he was like, all right, fair enough. Now, earlier we saw that Caligula wore Alexander the Great's breastplate and Alexander the Great had set up the Ptolemaic dynasty. You can listen to my coverage of this. Uh, and the Ptolemies were worshiped as gods in Egypt in the same way that pharaohs of ancient Egypt had been worshiped. Because remember, the Ptolemies are like 2000 years past what we think of as the golden age of Egypt. In fact, it seems like Caligula was making plans to visit Alexandria. And I think that what's going on here is Caligula wants to find a way to not have to be the chicken or the egg. He's like, I'm done with this. I'm done with the Senate. I want to rule on my own. And a great way to do that is by divine right. That actually, funnily enough, is what the kings and queens, the monarchs of Europe, a thousand years after this, will base their power from. They'll say that they were appointed by God. The, The correct term for this is divine right. And so this is kind of that, but in like the days of polytheism, he's saying, I don't want my power to come from the Senate. I don't want the Senate to get legitimacy either way. Like, I don't want to get legitimacy from the Senate. I don't want the Senate giving me legitimacy. I want to be separate from this. So I want my power to come from the gods, essentially. Caligula might have actually been planning to move the seat of imperial power to Alexandria. He had planned to leave for Alexandria Alexandria on January 25th, but we will never know what he was planning for that trip. Before Caligula was able to leave for Alexandria, there was a situation where someone being executed for conspiracy, so many conspiracies, who knows which one this was, either said these things to try to save his own skin or to freak out Caligula for some revenge because he knew this was the end. Um, Either way, he, he says that Caligula's Praetorian prefects, prefects and his inner circle were plotting against him. It doesn't work. The man ends up executed, or maybe it did work if he was just trying to free Caligula out because Caligula ends up confronting his really close advisors and his prefects, and they deny it. They're like, no way. We're not plotting against you. We promise. And while he seems to accept this, he starts carrying a sword around, which probably really freaked them out because if the emperor didn't trust them, then how long before he got rid of them? Ultimately, on the 24th of January, Caligula was murdered by two tribunes of the Praetorian Guard a day before he was meant to leave for Alexandria. The distrust Caligula was starting to show was probably what led to his assassination. There was one guard in particular that expressed to one of the prefects what he wanted to do, and his name was Chirius. Uh, It's C-H-E-R-E-A-S, and I actually did remember to listen to a pronunciation guide for that one. They told him to not do it. They were like, wait 
delaying him, probably because there was plans going on behind the scenes, but we'll get to that in a second. So they're waiting, they're waiting. They know they have this deadline coming up. Chirius is like, come on, just let me do it, let me do it. And finally, he's given the green light, so to speak. So as Caligula is walking back to the palace from the theater, um, Chirius hit him with a sword somehow. There are several different versions. And then the rest of the conspirators joined in. Someone was also sent to kill Caligula's wife and child. There's a lot of confusion for a few hours, but eventually people started gathering in the forum. And I know that that was a very vague description of the end of Caligula, but there's a lot of different accounts of how it happened. And after the fact, there were a lot of people who claimed that they had something to do with it, kind of like clout chasing. It's weird. They, as the, as the mood shifts against Caligula, people want to say that they're involved in order to gain prestige. And so because of that, and because there's just several different sources uh, that lay it out, it's hard to say definitively other than what I said above what happened. And so that's why it's relatively vague. Even though we know why the senators were probably pretty excited about this, the common people still loved Caligula and they were not happy. The senators were arguing about what to do. Some of them were arguing for an end of, to emperors, but due to what I'm assuming was the planning that made the assassination delay, Claudius, Caligula's uncle, was proclaimed the new emperor by the Praetorian Guard and the Senate confirmed him the next day. Uh, the Praetorians that had participated in the assassination were executed or committed suicide, but the rest were given a large sum of money by Claudius. No surprise there. I think that this is a really interesting point in history as well, because the Praetorian guards kill Caligula. And the Senate wants to just do away with emperors altogether. But if this happens, then the Praetorians cease to exist. And at this point, and especially moving forward, they become a very like important point of power within the Roman Empire. And it's this interesting thing where the emperor can't exist without the Praetorians and the Praetorians like need the emperor to exist. So it's this, they're linked. And so this is the ball that's set in motion and there's nothing the senators could have done about it because the Praetorians were the power. And even though, when, like when it all came down to it, if you're like, at the end of a sword, you're just going to agree. So ultimately the Praetorians decided what was going to happen. And again, as I mentioned, it's it's hard to talk more in detail about these events because there's so many different versions of what happened and everything else. So at this point, I think it's fair to say that the biography of Caligula that you were expecting is probably different than what I've laid out in this episode. In fact, if you're familiar with Caligula, there's definitely some different like tangents and side stories that are linked to him that didn't get brought up at all. And I think the reason is, is because those are just stories. And when you really look at the history, I think that this is what happened. So for Caligula, let's like go through this again. He's born into a great family. Uh, his parents actually love each other. And then the empire, the emperor, all of the forces end up tearing, tearing his family apart. His father is either dies young unexpectedly or is murdered. His mom, both of his older brothers are murdered, and then eventually he has to live in the house of the person who is probably responsible for all of those terrible things that have happened to him. He has to, from an early age, 
keep everything inside. We talked about an emoji head. He can't express anything. He has to basically just keep everything inside until eventually he ends up on, he ends up uh, with the imperial power. And then from there, after having to spend his whole life being disingenuous, having to play a part, he's surrounded by people who he can see right through it. He sees that the senators are just playing a part. The same people who are singing his praises one day are plotting to get rid of him the next. And I think that where Caligula really falls short, it by all accounts, he seemed to have been a pretty smart guy. Like he's really good speaker. Uh, <laughs> he was witty, uh, that's for sure. But he seemed to have reached the end of his ability to deal with people. And ultimately, that's what, what, that's what his downfall was. He saw a system that he didn't like, he didn't want to be a part of it, and he was trying to fundamentally change it. And I think the senators knew that. If Caligula had been successful in setting up a monarchy where his power didn't come from them, then all of a sudden, well, first of all, they're losing their entire structure of the way that their society is set up. But then what are they supposed to do? And while Rome definitely was in a state of change, I think that was too much change too fast. And I definitely think that Caligula would have benefited from reading how to win friends and influence people. And if I could, I would mail a copy back in time and space to him. But yeah, I I don't believe any of the, a lot of those stories that you hear about uh, the ancient, uh, the ancient emperors of Rome, I really truly believe a lot of them aren't true. And I think that it takes sitting down and really like going through and looking at each of the episodes of history that happened to really get more of a story. And frankly, that's why I love doing this podcast. Uh, we did really hit on some heavy topics today. Again, uh, mental health, madness. Um, we talked about, well, I mean, it's the ancient world. Basically, all of the stuff in this are uh, not great. So if there's anything that you want to talk about further or want clarification on, please let me know. But that is my delayed coverage of Caligula. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.